Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening wherever you are, and welcome to Chicken Soup for the White Boy's Soul. My name is Denver Crawford, and this podcast is a closer look into my personal journey of healing through conversation. As someone who identifies primarily as a white male, I am responsible for educating myself on how to unlearn my implicit racism and the ways in which the American and global systems have contributed to a false view of myself and other people. I am attempting to create that space here on the podcast by inviting voices from all walks of life to a conversation, one aimed at learning. Too many of us are using social media and the internet at large as a placeholder for actual conversation and individual action. Here you will witness conversations that are awkward, frustrating, cathartic, confusing, but most of all, positive. I have done my best not to edit anything out of these conversations. They are real and they are honest. Editing in order to appear more intelligent or well-spoken would be against the entire idea of this thing. While this is a place I've created out of a personal need, I would like to believe that you, listener, whoever you are, might find solace and encouragement from these conversations with friends and family. If there is anything you'd like to comment on, a missed opportunity, an incorrect term, or more opportunities for learning, I encourage you to send all communications to whiteboyssoul at gmail.com. This conversation was recorded between myself and Dr. Tanya Pettiford-Waits, lovingly known as Dr. T, on June 8, 2020. This is not the first episode recorded, but it is the conversation I have chosen as the first episode in this series. In this conversation, we explore the importance of self-education, our reactions to the police violence and protests surrounding the death of George Floyd, although the names Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade must be mentioned as well. We also share our experiences and questions about having conversations between white and black folks. Most importantly, why do white people seem so uncomfortable talking about race without a black person in the room? I met Dr. T through my studies at VCU and came to know her as a mentor through my participation in the Conciliation Project, otherwise known as TCP. TCP is a nonprofit social justice theater company with the mission to promote, through active and challenging dramatic work, open and honest dialogue about racism and oppression in America in order to repair its damaging legacy. If you are interested in learning more, please head to theconciliationproject.org. What's going on? Already technical difficulties. Okay, there we go. It's on pause. We are recording uh, Dr. T, uh, one of my greatest mentors. Um, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today on my Chicken Soup for the White Boy Soul podcast. Um, it's, it's my pleasure, Denver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And um, do you maybe want to, before we get into the conversation, maybe would you like to give a background for yourself? Should maybe I say what I know you as or how, how would you, you like you, to? You say, you talk. I will say. Talk. So Yes, because I'm going to be talking too in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. T, um, Tanya Pettiford waits wears so many hats. First and foremost, at the moment, she is an educator, um, a faculty member at uh, Theater VCU. Um, she is a founding member of TCP, the Conciliation Project, um, began in Seattle, Washington, and uh, now has its home in Richmond, Virginia. Um, one of the uh, part of the original production of For Colored Girls, um, and uh, just all around activist, uh, just powerhouse of a human being who uh, 
is focused on truth and um, having the conversation that needs to be had no matter what the circumstances. So it, does that explain you well enough? I'm nervous <laughs> trying to trying to put into words all that you mean to yeah. me and all that you are. It's hard. Well, you know, um, first I have to correct something. I'm not a member of the original For Color Girls. Okay. Right? Because that started in San Francisco. Uh, then it moved to the Henry Street Settlement mm-hmm. on the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Then it moved to the Public Theater. Yes. And then it moved to Broadway. Mm-hmm. So okay. there were a lot of, you know, I mean, and so I came in uh, um, to the Broadway production before I went out on the first national tour. Yeah. So I just, you know, yeah. since we're talking about truth, we got to like. You know, yeah, that's <laughs> thank you for correcting me on that, because I don't want to I don't want to say anything that, you know, that it wasn't Broadway was not its first iteration by any means. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You know, it's a journey. Wanna... It's a journey to get to Broadway. <laughs> it's a big, long journey. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so so is there any other background that you would like to provide about yourself uh, just to give people context who might not know you or haven't run into you as a person yet? Well, you know, I mean, right now, you know, I'm mainly an educator. Mm-hmm. Uh, my art, my, you know, my artistry is wrapped up in curriculum development and in mm-hmm. um, attempting to uh, uh, canonize this work yeah. so that people can use it into the future because it's very, very uh, powerful work. So, you know, I'm attempting to write now and publish Mm -hmm. uh, so that people can actually read about it. In fact, um, the Conciliation Project, the whole journey of the Conciliation Project is written up in a chapter, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a new book that came out in the fall called Arts and Activism. And it has a subtitle because everything has a subtitle. Oh, here it is. (laughs) I just happen to have it right here. Hello. Uh, it's called African American Arts, Activism, Aesthetics, and Futurity. Mm. And um, it is um, published by Bucknell. Okay. And it is, uh, yeah, and it is edited by Sherelle D. Luckett. Mm-hmm. So there's a chapter, you know, in this book that talks about the conciliation project and mm-hmm. how it how it uh, came to be the title of the chapter is the conciliation project as a social experiment mm. behind the mask of uncle tom ism and the performance of blackness so um huh, the performance of blackness that's a good topic for for where we are right now <laughs> you know, in, in our journey so yeah, if anyone who ends up listening to this is interested in like making this a part of your curriculum wherever you're being taught, write this down. <laughs> write it down <laughs> by this book. I I believe I believe I've read the chapter I helped in uh, you know, checking over it editing-wise, but um yeah, it's it's a really interesting a really good look into the work that TCP does and uh how that might be practiced elsewhere. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm about doing that as well as directing. I have to stay connected as an artist to my mm-hmm. creative process. So, uh, so I'm doing, I'm doing that. And every now and then I'll do a voiceover, you know, 
I think I did a monologue recently online <laughs> for the Virginia rep. They have a series oh. that they are doing online, mm-hmm. you know, so everyone's anyway. doing theater from their homes now. Yes. Yes. Which is so counterintuitive. It is. To what theater is. So anyway, it's interesting. I struggle with that too. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So yeah, background, I mean, people through throughout listening to this podcast, there's going to be a lot of background about me. Again, it's my it's my journey that I'm having publicly with all these lovely people that are in my life and all these conversations that we get to have about uh, difficult things to talk about. Um, but I'm ready to start the conversation with you, Dr. T, and ask you if you have any answers today. Actually, yes, I wanted to uh, actually read a quote that I just woke up today and decided uh, that I'm going to really assess my friends on Facebook, Mm. right? Uh, (laughs) And so this is the quote. Uh, It's, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And that's from Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, because right now in the times that we're living in, we're about to have this conversation, Denver. And um, right now in the times we're living in, there are a lot of quiet people. Amen. (laughs) That is what everyone's figuring out. Yes, the silence is very loud right now. So, um, I, you know, I... uh, I don't want to, there are people who can read and, and talk to me publicly, you know, on, on the public yeah. sites that I'm on, you know, I comment on those kinds of things, but my Facebook page, you know, it's, it's my friends, um, or so-called friends. Um, and I do not have to agree with everyone. In fact, you know that, that I love, <laughs> uh, discourse. I yeah. love dialogue. I love, uh, um, you know, unpacking our disagreements. Absolutely. I think that is very, very important. So um, I'm not about canceling people that don't <laughs> agree with me. Yeah. That's not what I'm talking you, about. You're the type of person to invite that person to a conversation. Yes. If, if something yes. happens that, you know, uh, the world goes awry, there are these figureheads that, you know, fuck up. Um, mm-hmm. you're more likely to invite that person to a conversation than say, ah, they're canceled. And that's, exactly. and that's what you've given to me. And that's, I mean, really infused into the idea of what I'm doing here, talking to you publicly <laughs> for everyone to uh, <laughs> listen to eventually. And um, that, I mean, that also, I, I also want to share my answer right now today, which is uh, death is a transition Mm-hmm. And to me, that works on a like a. I, I mean that in all sorts of death, metaphorical death, literal death, um, ego death. All of, like death is a transition. It is not an end to the cycle. It is. It is the next beginning of the cycle. So mm-hmm. I've just been. I've just with all of the death that I think we're seeing, physical death that we have to witness and and grieve publicly and the systems that are now dying and the ways of thinking that are now dying. It is, and, and the ways, the, the culture that is dying, the white culture that we are mm-hmm. getting to witness is, is an opportunity for transition. It is, it is a, 
Yeah, it's 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 not the white. But uh, I I want to even make it more specific: the white yeah. supremacist culture. Yes, amen. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, we're talking about the white supremacist culture, and we're talking about the implied goodness of white people. Yeah, the the imply the implication. You know, a lot of people when when you say white supremacy, they immediately jump to the Ku Klux Klan you know, the neo-Nazis, the, you know, all of that. No, no. White supremacy is much more insidious than that. Mm -hmm. It's much more insidious than that. And it lives within the cultural context of the United States of America, which was founded on white supremacy. And white supremacy is even, it's, I mean, it's a really big part of white identity. When people use whiteness as an identity, it is just as false an identity as what you know, white people created for black people when yes. we used black people as slaves. And uh, one of one of the ideas that I've been really uh, trying to unpack with people is this understanding of when we created this false identity for black people unintentionally or or slightly intentionally, an identity was created for ourselves, the white people as better than other humans. And so the part of being a white person that really creates dissonance for us is this very human part of us that recognizes other human beings as equals and this other identity that we vicariously created through the oppression of black people, which is we are better than you. We are closer to God. We are God. And and humans don't know how to process that. White people Mm -hmm. cannot... Uh, understand why they're made to feel so divine in reconciliation with their humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's that, there's the internal struggle, you know, uh, there's a biblical um, uh, phrase that says, you cannot be the servant of two masters. Hmm. So for white people, white supremacy is their master and humanity comes second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so white supremacy is in a struggle with humanity true and until white people give up supremacy mm-hmm. as the structural context for their being then humanity is not going to be able to fulfill its potential amen um that i mean that that is kind of my question um I have, but I have, I have questions right here that I, I wrote down just a few, um, to kind of see where this could go. But right now, especially, uh, in the world, there's a lot of people feeling overwhelmed. Um, and there's all of this, you know, uh, people aren't, people aren't sure what to do, but people are finally speaking up and they, they know that there are some things that they can do, but I, I'm curious for you who has been doing this work forever, when you feel overwhelmed, uh, what questions do you pursue? When I feel overwhelmed, so there's, okay, so there's, uh, what specifically, (laughs) so, so, yeah, I have been overwhelmed this whole past Mm-hmm. 10, 12 days um, yeah. since uh, we all witnessed 
the public lynching of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, since that tape was played, and it's been played over and over and over again, that's a, that is a, a, a traumagenic event. It was traumatizing. I cannot, it makes me sick and nauseous. It makes me weak. It takes my breath away. Um, so I, you know, um, I have been, I have been overwhelmed because he is me. He is my son. He is my father. He is my husband. He is my, you know, so, um, uh, I've had to stop looking at that, mm -hmm. even though you cannot unsee what you have seen. You cannot, so it's in me, it's seared um, in me. So, you know, I've attempted to look to my ancestors, look to those who came before me to uh, give me some, some hope, give me some um, words of encouragement, maybe give me some words of knowledge of what next I should do. You know, mm. um, uh, that's, in, you know, that's uh, in dealing with these events that we're talking about. I personally, in my self-care, take um, long showers, mm. um, listen to jazz, <laughs> listen, dance. I start dancing in the streets to Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Oh, yeah. You know, I go back, back to a time <laughs> when uh, my parents protected me from yeah. all of this. Uh, I go back to a time, you know, when I was celebrating, it, you know, all of my blackness. I mean, a man was just arrested the other day, I saw a video, for dancing in the street. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's all, that's all, that's like, so, you know, um, that's what, that's what we, I have to take momentary respites, you know, but yeah. I, I, there's no way that I can get away from it. Yeah. It's with, you know, it's on me, it's in me, it's all over, so. And that's why, you know, I find, I find a lot of frustration with the white people feeling overwhelmed because, you're not you're not experiencing that in in a true way. You're not overwhelmed. You're tired, and you're uh, you're upset as a, mm -hmm. like white people are upset. But you're not um, you're not overwhelmed because you're still sitting down. Whereas yeah. it, and and but you're you, Doctor T, are overwhelmed, and you're still going and you're still like that that's the moment where you really push through and black people in america just have to because it is so overwhelming if you did sit down you might just die i feel like yeah yeah and uh you know the thing is you don't have a choice like i can't get out of the journey yeah i am in the journey for the rest of my life yeah so i can't i can't you know i can certainly um uh allow someone to to uh, I can be supported by someone, yeah. you know. I can certainly uh, lean on, on someone. Um, I can certainly take a moment to catch my breath, but I I can never get out. Yeah, I can never do what white people do and pretend like it's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, there are so many. See, you know, I'm old enough. <laughs> I'm old enough to have seen this before. Yeah. 
right? And I, and I mean, like, like, this is a seismic shift that we are experiencing. This is, uh, this is a monumental moment in history. However, we have had monumental moments before. We have. Yes. And, um, and I have happened to be there and witness some of them. And each and every time white people wake up as if it has never happened before. Yeah. As if this is the first time they're noticing. Mm-hmm. As this is the first time they're, they're seeing and or hearing. You know, there's a line in a, in one, a movie that I love. I watch it over and over. Um, remember the Titans. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you remember that. Movie. I do. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, they integrated the schools. This happened in Virginia. I mean, this is a real, real school, real story. Um, and, uh, of course it was, there was a lot of trouble, a lot this is in the sixties, you know, uh, white people, you know, Virginia, this is where I live. Yep. Were, were you born here? I was, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, but I lived most of my life in Virginia down by Yorktown, Jamestown area. Yes. So, you know, Virginia was so racist and the parents were so, um, uh, all caught up in their white supremacy that they literally closed down the public schools uh, when uh, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education became law, when the Supreme Court said that you must integrate the schools. Virginia said, no, Mm -hmm. we're not going to do that, right? (laughs) You know, so here's this high school that ultimately comes to, you know, after the passing of um, uh, the Civil Rights Act, Mm -hmm. uh, comes to the place where they integrate these football teams and, you know, there's, there's uh, all kinds of trouble, uh, but it's good trouble. It's good trouble yeah. uh, because it's transforming lives and opening people up. But there's this line after they celebrate their victory, like they win a game together. You know, they want to celebrate and um, this, they're walking down the street of the town and this white kid says, let's go in here. And all the black kids say, uh, no, we better go in another place. We, I don't think we, 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 we can't go in there. And the white kid goes, yeah, we can. I mean, why not? Look, there's lots of room. The, the black kid said, well, okay, you know, so they let him go first and they come behind him. And the guy says, there's a lots of, there's lots of tables, but the, uh, the owner says, you guys need to get out of here. We can, you can go around back and get something. And the white kid goes, but there's lots of tables. He said, well, we don't have any service for you mm-hmm. talking to the black kids. Yeah. They come out on the street and the white kid says, I'm sorry. I didn't know. The black kid said, yes, you did. We told you. We told you. Yeah. Don't say you didn't know. We told you and we've been telling you. Yeah. So for you to say you didn't know is not only disingenuous, it is denial. It's denial, but it's also, uh, you don't see me. Mm-hmm. You don't see me. You don't hear me. <laughs> you know, you, you, you don't recognize me. You do not give me the same value. Yeah. That's what it's saying. When I tell you something and you don't believe me, because know why? It's not your experience. It's not your experience, so it can't be true. Mm-hmm. It can't be true. So, yeah, that whole denial thing is you are actually denying my humanity. 
you're denying my right to exist. You're denying my being when you deny my experience. (laughs) Yeah. And that actually leads me to, I posted an idea on Facebook and this is another thing that I'm trying to talk to white people about. Um, and it's exactly what we're saying here is the, the denial of humanity. And this is, this is what I write to be an American is to be in a perpetual state of grief. To know the history of this country and its roots and bloodshed and oppression is to experience a profound, unending grief. To deny our current inequality is to deny our collective grief. And to deny our grief is to deny our humanity. And to deny our humanity is to be an oppressor. And it's, I say, it's high time white folks need to process this grief for our country. Reach out to me if you need help with that, but don't deny it or you will end up remembered as the oppressor. And, mm-hmm. and I, I'm just, I'm exactly with my answer today. Death is a transition. I, I think people really need to focus on their grief and how it's different and how white people need to deal with their grief in one way. And they need yes. to stop taking it to black people because black people have their own grief to, uh, that this impossible grief to express because it's not seen and white people still want to take theirs to have, you know. To, to feel better about themselves. Well, you know, uh, white people need to recognize we're not the help. Yeah. That, we're not the help. <laughs> which became we the number the one. Help. It became the number one trending movie on Netflix in this. And there were so many people who were just like, all these people just want to be told you is kind, you is smart. They, they, they want to <laughs> see their help. mammies. And they That's don't, right. don't want to look right. at what's going on in the world. They'd rather watch a movie that, you know, makes them feel better about their relationships to black people. I think I, I think I read a, a, a an article somewhere, and I'm not sure, so you know, mm-hmm. but about Viola Davis regretting doing that movie. I think um, I heard that, yeah, because she felt like it, it it concluded in the wrong way, and it sent the wrong message, mm-hmm. and that was not a message that she embraced. Yeah, you know, as a black woman. Mm-hmm. One of the movies that I saw recently, which, again, the movies that I see about civil rights movements and, you know, racial injustice in America, I frequently find issue with the ending because it tends to uh, be a little too hopeful, (laughs) if that makes sense, or hopeful in the wrong way that, like, uh, this action was enough and it's not enough. It was it was a step, but too too many people leave the theater at the end being like, "Oh, what I just witnessed was like, oh, we're past that. Racism mm-hmm. is over after watching Hairspray and everyone dance together and you know dancing healed racism and you know uh, people apologize to each other and that's all it takes. No, mm-hmm. it takes systemic change and it takes like it it takes us not having to tell these stories over and over again for you to understand mm-hmm. that shit is hitting the fan and it's just has always sucked um and yeah so so the the most recent movie i saw was called just mercy with um yes. jamie fox and uh michael b jordan That's, yes yeah. michael b jordan he yes. so they the brian stevenson story yeah you know yeah and uh, the whole uh the equal justice initiative down mm-hmm. in montgomery alabama yeah which every white person needs to go 
to that memorial, that lynching memorial that and, he has down there. Yeah. And that museum that is talking about slavery to mass incarceration. There's a museum mm -hmm. that sort of gives the history of how we got to mass incarceration. Right. Yeah. And in fact, where we are right now, the, the call, the clarion call to, um, to uh, reform the criminal justice system, to um, defund police departments, uh, because everyone needs to know and recognize where the origins of American policing began. And that was with the slave patrols. That was with the patty rollers. There's a, there's a reason that the fraternal order of uh, police uh, uh, are, um, I, uh, are, there's a lot of Irish people, yeah. in, in the, I, descendants of Irish people, um, in there, you know, playing the bagpipes. And I, I recognize that Scottish, but that's symbolically, uh, European, extremely yeah. inculcated in European culture. Um, that, uh, the slave patrols, they, they were called slaves called them patty rollers because they were Irish, right? Yeah. And uh, that is where the, that is the origins of modern day policing. So black bodies were always criminal. Black bodies were never fully human. They were always property to be controlled and dominated. And, you know, uh, you know, how many years did New York have the uh, stop and frisk uh, too policy. many, which I I feel like was like four, maybe. I feel like this is an important place to interject uh, because I am completely wrong about this time frame and I would like to correct and give more context to this subject. Stop and frisk refers to a tactic used by the New York Police Department to stop and interrogate civilians and suspects on the street for weapons and other contraband. It is also known in other areas of the United States as the Terry Stop, which dates back to a U.S. Supreme Court case, Terry v. Ohio, in 1968. The outcome of this case granted limited approval in 1968 to frisks where a suspicion of danger was all it took to give an officer grounds for reasonable search. And uh, according to an analysis by the New York Civil Liberties Union, it revealed that innocent New Yorkers have been subjected to police stops and street interrogations more than 5 million times since 2002 and that Black and Latinx communities continue to be the overwhelming target of these tactics. At the height of stop and frisk in 2011, under the Bloomberg administration, over 685,000 people were stopped. Nearly 9 out of 10 stopped and frisked New Yorkers have been completely innocent. So the time frame for stop and frisk is far from over, and uh, this, this tactic is still an ongoing uh, one used by police in New York. And I think that context is important to provide. So with that, I will let you back into the conversation. Maybe more than that. But that, but that is indirect. I mean, yeah. you know, the prison system, the way um, uh, prisons are run, all comes out of that mentality of domination and rule over and, you know, um, con containing and objectifying the bodies of black and brown people mm -hmm. in this country. That's the origin. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to deconstruct and get rid of. Yeah. You know, that's what we're trying to reform. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely what 
Yeah, and the, and the focus of the movie Just Mercy was just... It, the focus of the movie was on this specific relationship and this journey that um, Michael B. Jordan's character had toward really understanding how pervasive, uh, you know, the oppression is in the system and managing to, like, rise above to, um, you know... To transcend that. Yeah. Because Michael B. Jordan, as the attorney... That's the Brian Stevenson character. Yeah. Was stripped naked yeah. as an attorney in order for him to go in and see his client in the prison. That is not a rule. That doesn't happen. In fact, he looked at them and told them that that doesn't happen. And he didn't. He, I'm an attorney. They didn't care because he was a black body. Yeah. And he was in their structure. He was, you know, he, he was confined. He had to do mm -hmm. what they said do because they were in control. Mm -hmm. And when black bodies resist that, they end up dead, wounded, or traumatized for life. Yeah. That and guy who I just told you about who was dancing in the streets, and I'm sure, you know, uh, one of the Karens in the neighborhood called the police. Of course. And the police came and they didn't tell him what, they didn't tell him anything. They just Swooped uh, him grabbed up. a hold of him, assaulted him, um, threw him on the ground and handcuffed him for dancing in the street. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they are continually exonerated. Um, yes. And nobody ever pays a, a price. For yeah. That. Yeah. It's, and it's it's high time they do and it's it's time for us to defund the police and restructure everything what it means what it means to to police what that means yeah. we have to we have to that the because the model is inculcated and in, and and embedded in white supremacist culture yeah period mm -hmm. and i don't care whether you have black and brown asian police officers they're wearing the blue uniform yeah they're wearing the mantle of white supremacy yeah when they step into that uniform in the way america polices uh black people in this country it's a fraternity that uh has gotten really good at protecting itself and oh yes. um and yes. it's up to the members inside of that to be better like they they are the ones who can uh, affect that system and their brothers and sisters in uniform before the population can. Um, mm -hmm. and now, and now the population is forcing that. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of, I, I don't, I'm not directly friends with any cops or related to any cops, but I do have <laughs> friends who I know it's like, my cop is a dad or my, my dad is a cop. My, my, my brother's a cop. And I'm, I'm going to these people and I'm saying, what conversations are you having with your dad, mm -hmm. who's a cop, with your brother, who's a cop. And is there, as their family members, you both need to have uh, an aggressive way of handling these events, but you also need to have the patience to help them understand if they are, you know, in denial or, you know, you know, treating, you know, well, I'm not going to give any comment because that's strictly police business. It's like, when you close ranks like that, mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. you're you're putting yourself on one side of the line that is with the bad cops, you know. And it's clear, it's clear that 
those other police officers stood there and allowed and even facilitated the process of killing George Floyd Mm -hmm. in front of people with cameras rolling. So they did it with impunity because they knew they could. Yeah. The the confidence is just astounding. The, the assured, uh, I don't, yeah, you film me, whatever you want. Like, I know I'm going to be okay. (laughs) Yes. It's insane. Um, but it also, yeah, like that, that is, that is the thing at the moment that I think people, people have just woken up to. And, um, what, what going back a little bit, um, the, the, and what you said about remember the Titans is, um, these awakenings that happen in white people Mm -hmm. that are kind of like way too late or, you know, um, be, you haven't seen me until this moment and you need to mm-hmm. like wake up to that. I definitely had a moment of that um, in in your class the day after the November 8th, 2016 election. And we, that was, that was the first uh, class I had, you know, the next day. And we, I just remember you said, you said, we're going to beat the air today. And, and there were 12 students flailing about screaming and punching the air at nothing and you came out and destroyed a giant piece of like it was like a ream of like a construction paper and you tore it to pieces by like slamming it on a stool and there was this collective rage and like expression of grief and all of these things that were happening and then we all came together and we 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 sat and in this huddle and cried together and and at the at one on one hand i was like if everyone could just do this every day like i i feel like something would get done like this people need this kind of stuff but the other thing that i took from that was your ability to what you said you're like i've seen this before i've been through this before and your me recognizing that because it was all new feelings for me i had never witnessed something that was so personally affecting but knowing that you have continually transcended um, these events that are so traumatic and uh, overwhelming was what told me that I need to, I, you know, I, I need to do the work on myself and I need to be better in all of these ways. And that was really crucial for me to understand that like Dr. T can do this. And she's has 20 million more reasons to be more broken than I am. So what's my excuse, mm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and then also in recent years, my journey as a white person has been about um, exactly what I, we talked about right before is, you know, using black voices to say what I want to say. And mm, um, mm-hmm. one of the things recently that uh there's, there's a playwright called Michael R. Jackson. His Instagram handle is the living Michael Jackson. And he wrote this year's Pulitzer winner for drama called A Strange Loop, which I was lucky enough to see three times in New York. I actually ushered the show at Playwrights Horizons. And um, that hit, he, so, so check out that musical if you haven't checked that out. It is one of the, um, it, is, it is my favorite musical. It is one of the best pieces of theater I've ever seen, I think. And so, so it, it right now would it be where would it be? 
It is on Spotify. The whole album is. Uh, oh, I, the album. I okay. think there's not... You don't miss too much in terms of dialogue. It's mostly a sung-through show. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. you can stream it on Spotify. I believe you can order it from the Playwrights Horizons website, like a copy of the play. Okay. And uh-huh. um, they are bringing it to the Woolly Mammoth Theater in D.C. next year is the plan. Okay. Um, but without the the lead actor, Larry Owens, who is in the original cast. Um, but Michael R. Jackson is very vocal on Instagram and one of, and, and Facebook. And one of the statuses he posted was, you know, my rage is not free. Stop using my voice to say what you want to say. And if you're going to use my voice, fuck you, pay me. Like, and, and that was also that, that hit hard for me because I know, uh, I have been guilty of, you know, when I should have used my own words to say what I felt about this uh, particular uh, tragedy or moment of oppression, you know, I, I, I went to, you know, the Martin Luther King quote. Too many people are using these James Baldwin quotes. I've had, um, I've had clashes within my relationships. You, you and I both know and love Jasmine very dearly. Um, I used a James Baldwin quote and it was inappropriate. And her question to me was like, why do you need to, why do you need to use a James Baldwin quote to get your point across? Why can't you just like, I think you need to stop chewing on his words and figure out what you have to say about this. And that, that also activated me in a way where I was like, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's true. (laughs) It probably it probably didn't activate you right away. First, it hurt. It did. Right? First, it stung. You know, and 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 there's always when that happens, when truth slices, mm-hmm. there's that sting. You know, and then there's the want to go cover it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, tend to the wound, basically. Yeah. Uh, rather than um, allow the wound to just like. <laughs> yeah. You know. Air out. out. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe put some disinfectant on it. Who knows? <laughs> you got to find other things. I'm I'm looking for another question here just because I know... I wanted to get to like a few questions and we don't have all the time in the world. Um, yeah, yeah. So what I, one of the other things I want to ask you is um, your feelings on uh, confrontation. How do, you, how, how do you approach confrontation with people with ideas and these things going on because another answer I gave on another episode is yelling is a form of communication and dialogue is a form of communication. There are different times for each one, but you know, how do you find what language to use in the moment? I can tell you that debate might be a form of communication, Mm -hmm. but it generally is fruitless because one person is attempting to dominate and subdue the other person. So debate is really coming from a white supremacist model. Yeah. Right. Domination, domination and containment, you know, and, and ultimately I want you to say what I'm telling you to say, or I want you to say what I believe you should say. To submit. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm right. You're wrong. Kind of thing. Right. Um, so dialogue, um, 
dialogue is what we espouse to in the conciliation project and confrontation is also not a bad thing. Um, confrontation, you know, implies, uh, putting something out there in front of you that might be a challenge, right? That might, uh, stop you in your tracks. And then you're going to have to decide what you want to do with it. Um, is it an obstacle to continuing? If it is, do you need to like deconstruct it, dismantle it, um, blow it up, uh, go around it, uh, you know, climb over it? What, what is it that you, what is it that you need to do with it? So, so, um, I, I, I am never afraid of confrontation. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like it is uh, another scene that now we have to play out. Yeah. Right. We have to play out the scene. Um, I, uh, I feel like uh, as long as we keep the channels of communication open, We might have to, like, we don't have all night, right? So we might have to come to, let's continue this another time. Yeah. You know, we might have to come to that. But I believe if we are friends, if we are both attempting to um, make ourselves understood to one another, then that, putting it, leaving it to another time, also has to be mutually agreed upon. Yeah. In other words, you don't get to shut the conversation down. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't get to shut the conversation down. We have to mutually agree that we can't, we, we got to go to bed. We got to, whatever we have to do. Yeah. Uh, I have to be at work, uh, whatever we have to do. But we need to put a mark in this, mm-hmm. park it in the parking lot, and come back and get the car. Yeah and keep driving continue the conversation you don't go to bed if you go to bed angry you have to agree that you're going to talk about it in the morning like right you know um and so yeah i i I definitely appreciate um confrontation as a form of addressing an issue or a form of um it doesn't mean battle it means let's look at this it's it's an opportunity it's an opportunity. You know, I, I think that we have to be careful with that word. It's kind of one of those very loaded <laughs> words because sometimes people use it as a tool to wound or hurt you, Yeah. right? Like when someone is confronting you about something and then perhaps they bring some grievance that they have forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we're doing right now. Yeah. But to derail what we're doing right now it's to deflect deny avoid what we're doing right now sometimes yeah. you yeah. know and um and sometimes it's to embarrass someone or to you know just to minimize or marginalize them take them down a peg that kind of thing so i, I when i when people confront me i have to assess um where they're coming from with their confrontation right? What are they trying to do? And sometimes I'll just ask them straight out. <laughs> why are you, why are you bringing that up right now? Yeah. What's that about? Like, wh- <laughs> <You know>? so, <laughs> where so, did that so, come from? Yeah. So I've found that, I've found that for me, 
in dealing with these very difficult um, struggles that we're dealing with, lifelong belief systems, entrenched belief systems and training um, that I have to, I, I use questions, I use interrogation. Yeah. I use a lot of questions, you know, when people offer things in the dialogue. Um, uh, because I think that questions, what we, you know, what we do with those questions, that's the point. Yeah. That's the point of the conversation. What are we going to do with the questions? Yeah. You know, these revelations are going to give us more questions. <laughs> yes. Um, and so that also, speaking of the work in TCP and all that you do as an educator, um, again, I, I think there are ways that white people can figure out how to educate themselves. But if you if you had to talk to white people about educating themselves, what, what do you want to say to both me and to, to anyone who might listen to this about the importance of education? And um, I know you're, you also say all the time your education is deficient. So, yeah, yes. so like, how, how do we begin that process of self-education that makes us into better people? You know, what, what are your, what do you feel about that right now? You know, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> this is a very interesting and it's a very fundamental question. Um, the playwright that you just quoted, um, um, who said, you need to pay me. So I am fully ready and willing to educate white people. Mm -hmm. But I do need to be paid. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay, I do need to be paid. Um, but I, I'll say this, that uh, white people need to begin to educate themselves and other white people. Yes. Um, and other white people. Because white people act differently and exhibit their behaviors differently when I'm in the room, <laughs> right? Than they do if I'm not in the room. I've, I've seen this happen so many times, especially with you. The way that white people talk before and after you leave is like, they, it, it's, it's almost, I get really uncomfortable with it because white people continually look to black people to see if they're doing it right. And yes. that is... That is so not the point, and that is yes. so unhelpful because, you know, when, when, when Dr. T leaves the room and someone said, oh, my God, Dr. T told me I did this thing right, I feel so validated. It's like, why, why couldn't you just feel all right? Why, why do you need Dr. T to validate your, um, your journey with yourself and your privilege? Like, I mean, it's nice to have validation, but mm -hmm. you should not require that to continue the work on yourself. That's right. So... So I say to white people, um, first of all, you cannot, everything begins with relationship. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't created a relationship with a black person or another person of color, perhaps you should attempt to do that before asking them to, <laughs> asking them to help you with your, uh, unpacking of your privilege and your, uh, you know, your whiteness and all of that kind of stuff. Perhaps you should put some time and energy into creating some authentic relationships with people. Yeah. You know, that way the truth will, the truth will come upon you 
in <laughs> the formation of that of those relationships. I am certain of that. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think that you also need to know your history. So, and I can tell, and I will say this, your, your, your education is deficient about your history. You don't know your history. When, when white people, particularly progressive white people, well-meaning white people, look at 12 years a slave or Harriet Tubman or, you know, any of these stories about, uh, about how white supremacy and white people enslaved African people and African people rose above it to rebel and to. No. Tension and energy. You you did freeze for a second. I'm sorry. You froze for a second. Could you just go back and repeat that? Um, what you said about 10 seconds ago, I'm sorry. 10 seconds ago. Um, I don't know what I said 10 seconds ago. I was distracted by you freezing. So, um, what, what were you just saying though? Educating, it was about history. You know, we're, we're talking about, I saying that white people need to learn their own history, right? So, uh, uh, they watch stories about history. Like, you know, my, my, uh, question is always like when there is a story about, um, uh, the Little Women, for example, yeah. you know, as a book and as a movie, I, I always want to know where are the people of color in this movie? Were there none? I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it. I don't believe it. So, cause we have always been here. We were here before white people. Yeah. So any, anyway, um, I, I, uh, I want white people to look at their own history. When they look at a, a story like, um, Harriet Tubman or 12 years a slave, where, where black people have transcended and persevered and, um, and liberated themselves from, you know, the confines of oppression and this white supremacy, white people always celebrate those people. Their attention is on, when, they, you, when you ask them about the movie, they tell you about how great Harriet Tubman was. They tell you how incredibly inspiring and whatever Harriet Tubman was. My question is, what about your people in the movie? Mm-hmm. What were your people doing in the movie? Did you look at them? Could you, <laughs> can you talk to me about any of them? Because um, I think you need to be paying attention to that. Because that's your history. Yeah. That's your history. Yes, Harriet Tubman is part of your history too. But that is the history you need to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Because that history will inform... Because history informs, not only uh, it teaches you about the past, it teaches you about the present and it informs the future. So, so white people need to start paying attention to their history, to the history of how this country came to be. You know, how did we get to the place in this country where white supremacy is woven into the fabric of every single institution, organization, and so forth. You know, that it is so much a part of of living in America that it becomes invisible, (laughs) right? Becomes, it just is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not invisible to us. It's not invisible to the people who uh, uh, it puts on the margins and, 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 you know, and, and decentralizes, um, 
it is or oppresses uh it's not it's not invisible to us but it's invisible to you yeah so so that's something you know and that's a lot of work to do that's a lot of work to do particularly since you haven't done it <laughs> you haven't done it and you're and, you know and one question is going to lead you to another question and then i believe you should start reading the history you know a history book for example like uh, Howard Zinn's The People's History of the United States, A People's yeah. History of the United States, where it looks at the entire color wheel. It looks at white people. It looks at native people. It looks at black people. It looks at Asian people. It looks at all of these people that have contributed to the America that we live in right now. And it talks about history from their perspective, which is not a perspective that white people are used to. So, <laughs> You know, I, you know, I've gotten to the point, Denver, where I've trained enough people that I don't feel I need to teach people who have not done their homework anything at this point. Amen. I, and that's (laughs) exactly why, you know, I am taking steps to make personal conversations between me and other white folks public with this podcast and again not i love talking to you anytime any day i you know you you are always a voice in my head whether you're there or not like i'm listening to things dr t (laughs) might say to me um and i invited you on this podcast one because it's incredible to talk to you but two because i've recorded multiple episodes so far and there have been with white people and the main concern with these white people is that I'm not uh, talking to voices of color about this work that I'm trying to do. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't have an, white people are questioning why, you know, it's okay for me to have a podcast where white people talk about race and there are no, you know, did black people say this was okay? And um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious as to your response to that specific uh, question that I keep getting from white people white because, people. yeah. Well, let me just say that it is imperative that white people talk to white people because there are spaces in whiteness that black people will never be invited into <laughs> that I can't access. Like I said, people will talk and behave differently when I'm in the room than when I'm not in the room. Mm-hmm. So, those conversations must be had. You know, I applaud uh, uh, these families that are having these conversations with their kids who are holed up, you know, they're locked down because of the pandemic. And they're having, and the, and the only thing they can do is watch, uh, go online, you know, do all of this. Uh, social media is full. And the thing that our country is going through right now um, this uh, uh, seismic shift has to be discussed because it's affecting everyone. It's a, it's like the global pandemic. This is also a, a global pandemic. And it's particularly affecting the United States of America because it is a country that has felt since the beginning that it's exceptional and that everyone should bow down at the throne of the United States of America. Because we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. And, you know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, 
Uh, people like Drew Brees, the quarterback from the St. Louis, uh, um, what are they? What are they called? Um, Saints, the Saints. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the football team. Uh, he says, you know, uh, I will never disrespect the flag or, or agree with anyone who's disrespecting the flag. Speaking of Colin Kaepernick. And bam, all of his, he forgets that his offensive line is black. He forgets the people that he's throwing that ball to and gets all those receptions from are black. He's forgetting who his defense is, who's protecting him from getting his head smashed into the, uh, uh, into the uh, astroturf. He's forgetting all of that. They're all black. They're all black. And, and um, uh, George Floyd is their brother. And if they didn't have the New Orleans Saints uniform on, they could be George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And Drew Brees didn't understand that. You know, so they let him know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, all of a sudden, he's changing his story. You, you understand? Um, he, he's seeing things from a different perspective because it has to do with him, mm-hmm. right? He better see things from a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, or else his life might be in danger. His livelihood could be in danger. So all of a sudden, Colin Kaepernick, all of a sudden now Drew Brees understands it's not about the flag. It's about, (laughs) you know, it's about black people dying and no one being held accountable. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, he he understands that, you know. Uh, uh, So uh, sometimes uh, it's important in our conversations, you know, white, white people have to, do the homework if they're not willing to do the homework they won't they'll make ignorant statements like drew Brees. Yeah. drew Brees talked about the flag as if black people haven't bled and died for the flag my, i come from a military family i come from a military family and um i know that soldiers black soldiers were segregated from white soldiers i know that you know, in the Civil War, black soldiers didn't have boots. I, you know, weren't given boots. They weren't given adequate equipment. I know that, you know, it, when they returned from the war, from the Tuskegee Airmen came back, when um, soldiers have come back from Vietnam and Iraq and Iran and all of that, that when they, you know, in their uniform, they have been disrespected. In their uniform, they have been called the N-word. In their uniform. You know, they have been deemed as less than, even though they went, fought, bled, and and some died for this country. Mm -hmm. So for somebody to stand up there and say kneeling is disrespectful, that flag doesn't, you know, I believe that we as black people in this country should not stand for the flag until the flag stands for us. Yeah. If the flag is not going to stand for us, in other words, I pay the same taxes as every other American in this country. But I don't have the same rights. I don't have the same privileges. I don't have the same access. I don't... So, you know, I say the United States of America owes me back taxes. Amen. On money that I have paid, that I have not gotten what I paid for. I have not gotten what I paid for. You know, uh, Colin Kaepernick doesn't need the words of the NFL commissioner. He needs reparations. He does. He needs the NFL commissioner not only to make sure his job is restored somewhere, but also that he's paid back wages. Because now, all of a sudden, 
he's right. All of a sudden. All of a sudden. Right. Yeah. And it's it's also <laughs> what you say about, you know, understanding, oh, it's not about this. It's really about this is what I think I, I'm trying to, I keep telling people, I'm like, there are things that are about you. And then there are things that are not about you. The, the grief that your black brothers and sisters is feeling isn't really about you. It's about right. this system. And you, you have your own things that are about you, which is like your ability to have conversation and educate yourself and your education and your, uh, your relationships to people are about you. So take that into your own hands. Don't look to black people to educate you because that, that is not their job. No, no, no. No. And, and so, you know, and besides, you need to have a relationship or pay them. If you pay yes. me, I'll come and educate you. Yes. I will. I, I have no problem with, with that. <laughs> so donate to TCP. We have a fundraiser going on right now. They are educating all the white folks in Richmond, Virginia and beyond. Um, pay Dr. T to educate you if you if you can only listen to a black person educate you. But uh, I, I'd venture to say there are plenty of white people telling you how you're being that you're not listening to. Um, That's right. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, when I start talking, your feelings start getting hurt, right? I mean, when I start talking, now, you could just get mad at Denver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you might be mad at me, but then you're afraid to show that you're mad at me. Yeah. And, and just let your feelings get hurt. But you know what? Hurt feelings... Uh, don't stop me from set, from speaking truth. Yeah, I know you that. Don't stop me. <laughs> I know that well. I've you been... know, tears don't stop me either. No. So you know, because white fragility does not stop me. No. So you know, um, uh, I feel like there needs to be some affinity groups. I, I believe white people need to people who have been doing the work, people who know something about the work, can come and share. Mm-hmm. what they know yeah and perhaps that can open up right right so you know i feel like i'm gonna start saying to people have you talked to white people yet <laughs> right i'm gonna start asking that like in my <laughs> in my questionnaire about what you want me to do mm-hmm. when i come to talk to your group or whatever i want to know have you talked to white people first yeah right so and if it's no no, I've never talked about this before. I'll go, well, let's put a pause on that. You go talk to some white people first, and then you come talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that is, you know, <laughs> I, and I, I am for that answer rather than, you know, the question that I'm getting from white people, which is, have you talked to black people yet? Which is, you know, part of, <laughs> it's like, it's like one, one of us is going to have to start talking soon. And I think black people are tired of talking to white people. So let's maybe have but a discussion this is the ourselves thing that white people need to understand racism is not black people's problem it's not we didn't create it we have been fighting against it since we got to this country 401 years ago so this is a long struggle for our humanity our basic humanity our equality our basic human equality we did not create racism. We did not create it. So it's not our problem to solve. <laughs> I <Right>? say. <laughs> Hashtag white people. Check yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I think we've we've talked for long enough, and uh, I, I want to close out with you. Do you have any anything that would make you feel good about closing this? Do you feel like the do we need to com- continue the conversation you and me, Doctor T, or do we need to put it to bed and like come to it later, or, or how do you want to close well, this know, conversation? Denver, I feel, I know that I can get a hold of you anytime. Yeah, you can. And um, I also know that if I, you know, if I see or witness something or feel some a certain way, I will tell you. You have given me access to your life, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and you certainly I've given you access to my life. So. You know, those things, uh, you know, this conversation will be going on forever. This work is, this is a journey. Yeah. Uh, This is, you know, this is not a sprint. (laughs) Um, And so there's a lot of unpacking to do. Yes, there is. And and so, and we don't know when it's going to, when it's going to be over, but we do know that action speaks louder than words. Mm -hmm. So we can begin with talking. Yeah. But then there has to be some doing. Yeah. There has to be some um, actual deliverables, <laughs> right, on what we say we want. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for being a part of my journey and also giving me access to you as a resource. This being one of them, like, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that you've lent your voice to my podcast. I, and I will pay you and I will be working for you and working for TCP <laughs> as long as, you know, I'm alive and maybe be on the grave. Who knows? I'll find a way to come back and still do the work with TCP. Um, <laughs> well, we know death is not final. So. Again, yes, it's a transition. So maybe uh, for closing, uh, let's... I'm trying to figure out what we can offer anyone else who's listening to this um a way of feeling like the work that they're doing individually Mm -hmm. is enough but there's always room to be better so so i just want to a word of encouragement maybe to all the white folks who keep asking the question to me have you talked to black people yet like uh my answer to them is I don't think that's necessary anymore. Right. Black people have been talking a long time. Mm-hmm. Just like the guy in, uh, in um, Remember the Titans said, I told you, I told you that we can't go in there. Yeah. You just didn't listen to me. Right. So um, we've been talking a long time and there are plenty of books, films, you know, uh, uh, poetry, um, music, all kinds of arts and culture that you can, you know, look at paintings, sculptures, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that you can look at where that would be the voice. That would be a representation from black people. If you feel like you need to. Right. Put a black person's quote, put um, uh, uh, um, W.E.B. Du Bois, the souls of black folks in front of you. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, your education is deficient and you need to go out and read the souls of black folks by W.E.B. Du Bois. Yes. Right. You need to get and read James Baldwin's The Fire next time, Mm. because that will be talking to black folks. 
Yes. That will be talking to black folks. Mm-hmm. And then y'all need to get together and talk to yourselves. Yes. Y'all need to talk to yourselves. That's what I'm trying to do. Yourselves up, out of your seat. Yeah. Get off the sidelines and get in the journey. Yeah. I'm doing that here and uh, hopefully... I'm I'm going to start hearing a lot less of this question when I ask people to have a conversation with me. Um but is, I hope so. Yeah, is there is there anything else you want to offer in terms of an answer for uh people who listen to this and you know you can find issues with every conversation and you can find things to be upset about but what um what in this conversation do you feel like is the good work? I feel like, uh, I feel like, um, you gotta, I birthed, I birthed, I birthed four children. One of them has transitioned, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. but so I have three children. Um, I'm not done being their mother. Right. Mm-hmm. So I work at that every single day. Every single day I wake up knowing I'm their mother, right? And um, is there something that I need to do? Is there something I need to say? Is there something I, you know, uh, in order for me to become better at that, to, to be to become a better mother than I have been, even though my children are grown and now I have grandchildren. So now my journey becomes about being that too, but it's not over. White people want a one and done kind of thing. Give me the answer. White people are the solution people. Give me the the A, B, C, boom, bottom line, that's it, over. Let me tell you something. I've been living in this black skin my whole life, and it has never been over, (laughs) right? So you've been living in that white skin your whole life, Mm -hmm. and you got work to do every single day. Every single day, and let me tell you, it will not be over. Ever. Ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> it took too long to build it. Yeah. It's going to take a long time, time to, to deconstruct it. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. Um, You're I'm going to end things here with you and just say I look forward to seeing you soon. I think we're actually going to have a call tonight for TCP, but, you know. Yes. Um, the conversation's never over. Thank you for uh, joining me for this hour. And um, I'll see you soon. It's been my pleasure. I love you. Love you too, Dr. T. (laughs) Every conversation misses something. Listening back on this episode, I can find many things I wish I had said in a different way or, or questions that I could have phrased with more purpose. What I learned about myself from listening to this conversation is that sometimes... I give an answer to a question, like the one about stop and frisk, when I really have no real understanding of its history. I could have been a moment where I could have admitted my lack of knowledge and turned to a question rather than an incorrect answer. Dr. T even says at one point that we need to do our homework in order to avoid making ignorant statements. I'm also actively discovering what this space and what this podcast can be used for, personally and beyond. I thank you for joining me if you've made it this far. The journey is never over. From your friendly podcasting white boy, I love you, and I thank you for being a witness to this work. I look forward to learning more with you and from you. Until next time.